good? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Workflow Wednesday. This week, we're joined with by Pi uh, Jursa. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I should have asked ahead of time. Okay, with, uh, <laughs> we got with it. Lounge, um, and uh, I'm really excited for this one. This is gonna be really fun, and because um, I don't, uh, I personally don't have a lot of experience or or kind of touch on photography much. A lot of the t- t- that goes on around here is a lot more like video editing and so yeah. um this will be very educational i think for myself and and the audience at large um for sure so thank you for first off to for joining us taking some time out of your day to, to join us this week um thank you yeah and, it's uh, good to be here man thank you awesome um so i'd like to start off a little the, the intro thing just in case anybody doesn't know uh give a little intro of who you are what you do and all that good stuff well so uh, a little more than a decade ago we started a photography studio called lineages of photography shortly after that we created an educational platform for photographers it's kind of the sort of the operating manual for our studio for both stills and cinema and and kind of everything that we do um, as a business so that side is slr lounge the lineage side is the client side the sr lounge side is the photographer side and then we just launched a third entity that's kind of resources and software for photographers okay so that side's visual flow yeah so we have our hands in a few things okay (laughs) that's neat and uh yeah so that's kind of how we as Puget Systems got kind of connected with you through the SLR lounge side of things. Yeah. Um, and uh, you've done some wonderful reviews and stuff with us. And um, so I'd, I'd like to kind of talk about that side of things. So what, what were you working with before and and uh, how have things changed since? Okay. So before that, we were working with various um, kind of more off the shelf uh, computers that you'd get from like t- typical manufacturers um we never had good luck with them and so we started also designing and building our own um but the issue with that was that it's like and and it's funny because we we run a fairly large studio like we can have at one point we had up to 40 people you know 40 team members working in the studio and there's 20 or 30 computers for each one that's lined through you know our networks um yeah. And, and people will often say like, oh man, why would you buy a PC? You could just build it. And I'm like, have you tried building and maintaining 30 computers like for a, a business, let alone like right. even like two computers, like just it's, it's a very challenging process and having hardware that frequently has issues, um, whether it was, whether we picked up like something off the shelf or whether we built it ourselves, it was just kind of a nightmare. So we ran into you guys, I think it was about two years ago. And one of our employees was like, Hey, we should try out Puget. And, uh, I went to the website and I was like, Oh, like this is kind of everything I wanted. And I, I, this isn't supposed to be pitchy. This is just like, I've always wondered why companies don't do purpose-built machines. Like why can't, why can't you guys just have a machine? If it's either, they either call it gaming or productivity or multimedia, but like those are such broad genres. Um, gaming kind of makes more sense, but like on the productivity side, on the multimedia side, there's Lightroom versus, you know, people that do primary work in Photoshop versus, you know, Premiere. So when we ran into your guys' site, I was like, okay, you're speaking to me. And then we tried out some of the machines and they were incredible. Like we've never had 
issues with them. There was one, it was funny. There was one that had uh, my very first one had an issue that we discovered had nothing to do with the actual computer. It was, yeah, it was the strangest thing. It was the mouse that I was using in particular. It was a Logitech and it was causing these weird freezes and slowdowns and hiccups and your tech support. We literally walked through everything. They called me back and they said, we found the issue. It's actually underlying hardware issue with that Logitech. Try a different mouse and it fixed it. And I was like, dude, it's crazy that I spent like no, no company has ever supported a machine and then figured out that it's someone else's thing and like called me back and like done all that stuff. You know, if they, usually they say, Oh, it's, it's not our issue. We're not going to handle it or help. So anyway, we had a really great experience. And then we said, we need to work with you guys more. Oh, that's cool to hear. Wow. And something, wow. Something like that. Yeah. Who would have, who would have thought that it'd be a mouse? Uh, peripheral like that. <laughs> yeah. like, this seems, I mean, on a, on a personal side, I would, you know, I just get frustrated with something not working and then, and do that sort of like one, you know, one thing at a time until you figure it out. But that's cool to hear that our, our support people did that as well. That's really it was cool. awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, so I imagine then you work a lot with, like you mentioned like Photoshop and Lightroom. Um, how have, how has, well, actually, before we go that far, um, I'd like to know a little bit more about the process. Um, sure. So I know you do, you kind of get into, um, your website mentions wedding photography. Um, what is that, what does that look like from like step, not step by step by step, but like from the beginning to end? Um, and how, how does that all work? together with the hardware um, and the software and, and things like that. Of course. So, so during, and when somebody mentioned, Alexander mentioned that it sounds like there's an overloaded mic. I'm wondering if that's fixed or if that's, uh, if he's still noticing think, that out. I think it was my, my game cranked up a lot. Um, I'm hoping it's a little better. Yeah. Uh, Alexander, let me know if it's on my side. I can turn the game down as well. Um, so, you know, when it's not COVID, <laughs> we normally are shooting, <laughs> we normally shooting about 350 to 400 weddings a year. And we do, uh, we do stills as well as cinema. So our, our, our data needs and our throughput is massive. Like we're putting in terabytes of data every single weekend through our networks. Um, so needs wise, we have quite a bit. We have to be able to not only move data around very quickly, but then we also have to load, uh, typically Lightroom on the still side. So we're between Lightroom and Photoshop on the still side. And we're usually in premiere on the video side and we're dealing with a lot of 4k footage. Um, fortunately we don't do a lot of raw 4k. It's more just 4k HG64. um, so uh, yeah, yeah okay. we have pretty intense yeah. needs. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm surprised you mentioned network. Um, is it like, like actually remote? You're actually emailing these large or um, clouds? No. So we, sort of we have, we have a full studio. Um, we have a full studio that is about a 10,000 square foot space right out of Irvine. And so okay. that's where we, that's where we have all of our networks, all of our, you know, servers, everything is there. So most everything is in-house. Like again, again, I say pre COVID <laughs> most everything is in. Right. So it would be impossible to manage that much data via any type of, you know, internet based kind oh, of service. Sure. Um, right. cause usually a single shoot will come back with, 
you know, like if, if you're talking about a, a, a lead photographer, a second photographer and a third photographer, and they're shooting 30 megapixel files, they might come back with eight to 10,000 photographs that are raw wow. files. So we're, we're talking 250 to 500 gigs from a single shoot. And we might be working with six to eight weddings just in one day. So wow. in one day, we might be putting through five terabytes of data uh, from just the, the still side. And then that doesn't speak that's, to the cinema side. That's massive. That's I'm, I'm so many. I thought I thought, I, had a, I thought just a few. I took a few hundred photographs from a vacation just recently. And <laughs> that was a lot. That is a lot when you're by yourself. <laughs> yeah. But, um, that's I, again, I think that's, a, that's an interesting perspective. I think a lot of people don't quite realize just how much, how massive just even one project can be. Um, and so then, I, I mean, it must take a long time just to import all that stuff into Lightroom. Oh yeah. Yes. We have yeah. to, we first take everything over to the server and then we download to individual machines. Um, and those machines will be set up to, to basically bring everything into Lightroom at that point. But we, it would be impossible to go straight into Lightroom just because Lightroom's not fast enough, nor is it designed to handle that much data from different shoots and things like that. So we have to do, we generally will process each shoot on its own Lightroom catalog and okay. then separate it out. So we'll create a new catalog for every single shoot that we do. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a very different workflow than typically you're shooting solo, you keep everything mm -hmm. you have in one single catalog and you kind of move and organize from that catalog. On our side, we have to be able to finish a client's work, archive it, and then if we need to, we have to be able to pull it. So if that work is combined with 20 other clients, archiving and, and pulling and making updates and changes becomes extremely cumbersome because you have so many other images loaded in. So we save right. out catalog by catalogs so that it's easy to pull, it's easy to adjust, it's easy to re-archive um, and keep everything separated. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, wow. Um, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm getting some feedback here from, I guess my audio is kind of wonky. I think might be. Apollo said the story about the mouse and care to figure out the issues at Diamond of Insight. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things for us that was like, we had one machine at that time and it sold me and I was like, we're going to convert everything. So we, we've been slowly converting everything over to, I think we have like seven now. Oh, wow. That's yeah, seven that's Puget systems. Cool. Nice, if you guys, here. if you guys made, <laughs> if Apple opened up and allowed OSX to be installed on Puget machines, that would be the perfect dream. Cause I, I can't stand Apple hardware, but I love their, their software. If we can get Puget to okay. design the hardware for Apple, oh my goodness, it would be <laughs> game over. That would be, that would be really cool. Um, and so, so I suppose then it's, it's uh, that's an interesting point to make. Um, is it the just the operating system itself that that is more enjoyable then? Yeah, you know what's it? It sounds so ridiculous, Houston, but. There is this incredible workflow benefit, especially on the creative side, from the way that you can hand off things from your computer to your phone back and, and, mm. and, and doing all that kind of stuff on Apple. 
Yeah. So oftentimes what I do is I'll do, so in fact, if, if the computer were not attached to the, the camera, I would actually show you guys. <laughs> I have my Puget system right next to me and I do all of my major editing on that. And then I have a, a nice connection where I can just send it straight to Google Drive. And then I use my Mac for publishing. So as soon as it gets to like the, I have the iMac right now that I'm on. So as soon as it gets to, okay, now we're gonna prep final pieces for uh, social media, for YouTube, for whatever we're gonna do with that, I'll take it to my Mac because then I can output and go directly to all the devices. So I can take things and send it directly to the phone. I can take things and send it anywhere I want. And okay. I'm like, this is such a simple thing that Microsoft kind of never really did a good job of. And now right. you have Windows and Androids. You have like the, the closed ecosystem of having these things makes so much sense. But unfortunately, we can't get the hardware benefits on that side. So, right. Huh? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I'm, that's really cool to hear how how you have, I suppose, mixed those workflows that way, because um, I, I, that's always a, an interesting thought either. Um, either making the shift and then like, oh man, my keyboards shortcuts are different or, or completely, completely having to change from one software platform to another. Um, and so that's really cool. You found a nice, uh, not quite seamless, but a, yeah. a, a way that works across both for you. That's really, it's cool. not ideal and it's definitely expensive, but that's the only thing that has so far kind of done the trick because editing on like I have a, an iMac Pro and when I got this thing it was like $7,000 it was the same price wow. as my yeah. super high end Puget and my Puget will just walk all over it I mean like right. it's not even funny like if I'm editing a thousand photographs it might take me six hours on my iMac Pro it would take me less than an hour on my on my Puget so it right. makes no sense to do anything that's like beyond anything that's not a five minute thing it makes no sense to do it on the iMac I, I just go straight to the desktop but it's weird man I, I, I don't kind of get it like it, I, I don't get it I don't get why Apple doesn't let people <laughs> use it I mean I, I get the yeah. theory of it but <laughs> yeah well I think uh, to, to kind of veer off into that a little bit part of part of the reason why the like Mac OS and and then and how that is uh, such a seamless flow is because they control the hardware. Control all the hardware. Um, you know, yeah. Windows Windows has to be flexible enough to handle a million different combinations of, of graphics cards and, and monitors and input devices and, and all these all these extra parts where Apple says, no, we're going to use these three things and that's it. And That's true. So, But hey, if you can come up with, if you guys at Puget can come up with a workflow that can turn desktop into that i think sure. that would make for a fantastic youtube video to teach people on our side oh. like how to how to basically create that type of workflow of being able to seamlessly send things to your phone and, and back and forth and because the best thing that i've come Ooh. up with is google drive but there's right. always like a significant delay like it's kind of annoying to have to like you know yeah i, I mean just just with the my vacation photos um I, I uploaded them to an album, or I thought they were, 
But then when I shared that out to friends and family, they're like, where are these pictures? I'm waiting and waiting. And it, it, it was a mess. Um, yeah. So I, I totally, I totally understand that it's not, it's not as good as, as we'd like to, to hope. Uh, and I do, I think, I do hope one day that there is a much better, more seamless solution that way. Cause we're starting to get so much into, um, just distributed computing and cloud-based stuff that um, it's it I feel like we're we're, we're very close uh, For sure where where it'll be a, li- a lot more agnostic in that way where um, you know file transfers and things can just go from one to the other regardless it could be Mac it could be PC it could be Android it doesn't matter it's all just it's up there and it can be brought to here um, that'd be a brilliant big. universe <laughs> that'll be great um, Oh yeah, that's, that's, that'll be good stuff. Okay, let me see if there's any questions here in the chat. Um, uh, okay, just talk about the audio things. Everything seems everything is okay. Pedro now. said, um, "Hello, happy late." That input oh. configuration, not the maximum I can use to build a workshop for a workstation oh. for Photoshop. I have a, an answer for that. Uh, we've so recently we've actually been putting out a series of articles um, that are less technically. Uh, and data heavy mm-hmm. and uh, kind of a, a good, better, best um, sort of Oh, that's thing. awesome. For configurations of yeah. different types of machines. And so here real fast, that was from... Yeah, if you guys have any questions on the on the workflow side of photography and cinema and dealing with that kind of stuff feel free to chime in on on that youtube chat i'm, I'm reading the messages so we yeah can kind please of follow do. along with because i'm 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 feel maybe a little disconnected so i'm not quite sure what to ask um except like so you um i suppose just in a little more general sense you you've said you've been doing this for at least over over a decade yeah um how how have things changed over 10 i mean it's i know it's more megapixels bigger numbers and things like that but like the actual work how has how has that changed for you surprisingly the actual work is very similar um and that's kind of an unfortunate side like we've we've actually been working directly with canon to develop what might become the first artificially intelligent raw processing software and so we're utilizing um like the company that we developed for raw processing visual flow we're utilizing that process and system and trying to turn it into ai and it kind of blows me away that this stuff hasn't been done before that for the past Mm -hmm. decade like it's all been the same um but really yeah for the past decade you you would have expected like the ways that we're getting files off the camera and onto the computer i would have expected cloud-based immediate solutions a while back but we're still popping memory cards out and plugging them in and that feels like it's so dated yeah that's i mean i know um i know a few of the cameras that i play with have a a wi-fi option um but it seems a little not janky I, I, yeah. I don't think i've actually ever gotten it to recognize my wi-fi network or, or yeah s- i've never used they're it. not they're very... not reliable yeah and so like, huh. i think canon is the first one right now that's introducing a shoot to cloud technology where you can actually have like a cellular service built into the camera and yeah. then shoot directly to the cloud but 
in every way, mobile photography has changed so much more dramatically over the past 10 years than right. standard cameras have. Like right. the way that mobile works is in many ways far superior. The only thing Ooh. that is lagged behind is in the actual image quality itself hasn't quite caught up yet, but that's only a matter okay. of time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you see, there's always the battle when, when the new cell phone comes out, like, oh, who takes the better pictures and, and whatnot. And um, in, in some of this, the talks that I've, I've had with different people, it, it seems that a lot of that comes down to uh, the processing, like you were saying, the, the image processing after the fact, the actual yeah. like raw, the raw photograph is not that great. But, but after you've taken it, the software goes through and kind of fills in some of those blanks. And um, yeah, I'm curious why there hasn't been more of that crossover with with you know big bigger cameras or like the more professional cameras like that. It's very gotta, it's very unusual, and I think that's eventually what's going to kind of erase most of that market because even at present um i actually just started up a a, a new account a tiktok account that's called born hey. and creative and i okay. teach just how to use your phone to get incredible images and the the, the phone Ooh. itself is incredibly powerful people see the images and they're like there's no way that that's not shot with a professional camera and i'm like right. no it's just it's just professional knowledge translated into the into a phone so that's cool so you know, you imagine like five years down the road, what's going to be the purpose of having, except for the most extreme demands, mm -hmm. there's not even a really a need right now. Most people don't even know that their phone is capable of these things. So oh, yeah. even right now, most people don't have a need of a standalone camera. They just don't realize it. But five years down right. the road, even more so, like what's going to be the need? So this market is going to be whittled away into just those that have a very specific need and demand are going to be buying standalone cameras. I believe everybody else is just going to be using their phones. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. The, it, it has shocked me the progression, um, not just in like photography and things, but just the, in the power and, and capability of the, the little square that I keep in my pocket is, is remarkable. That's I mean, crazy. I have, I have a near, near full Adobe suite on my phone. I can do yeah. video editing, I can do photo, photos, the whole kit, and, and it's great. It'll, it'll blow you away, dude. I mean, like, it's uh, 10 years ago, this was having an, you have an entire desktop solution in your hands for publishing and for, for doing anything that you want to do. Um, and we actually have the, we actually have the luxury of being on Zoom. So if you'd like, I can share my screen and show you some iPhone Ooh, photos. Actually, yeah, that would be, that would be really cool. Uh, in fact, I'm prepared for that. I can make your shared screen full screen for everybody. Okay, let me, let me do this then. I'm going to go share photos. You guys see in my, my iPhone library? Yep. Okay. So this, these are iPhone photos. Everything I'm about to show you was shot on an iPhone. Wow. The, the resolution, the detail, like it's fantastic. And people think like you can't print from them. And I'm like, you're, you're nuts. You can totally print. Sorry, there's other stuff mixed in here. So I did a recent video on how to shoot product images with your iPhone. So we're doing product yeah. images, high speed product photos. This is shot on an iPhone. 
Um, wow. Let's see. With no, you haven't done anything to, to no. this yet. This is just, this, this is from your phone. These up. are from the phone straight up. Like these are the actual photographs off the phone. So um, I have edited, like I've applied one preset in Lightroom mobile. So we use, okay. so this is where we're developing intelligent presets. So these are using uh -huh. visual flow presets, but this is again, iPhone portrait. Like, wow. And you, you'd expect, you no. see these and you're like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. This isn't just auto, right? You're, you've, you've, uh, have you fiddled with any, I have, I have a very basic understanding of the, the triangle, right? ISO yeah. exposure and stuff. And so have you fiddled with that at all to take these photos? Yes. So what I teach people okay. on that. So I, my, my whole side of education is I'm going to take you from just your phone all the way through to professional DSLR. But first I want people to realize how powerful their phone is. So yeah. once again, this is shot on the iPhone. Like every single one of these has been an iPhone. So there's a lot of built-in functions that people don't know how to use, like how to adjust exposure and how to do all those things. So I'm teaching them how to do that and then saying, okay, when, when the camera, when the phone is actually your limitation, that's when it's time to step up. But this was, this was funny. This came from a, I was walking around downtown and I saw these two rappers and they had their kind of friends and their crew taking pictures of them. And I was like, look, I'm a professional photographer. Would it be cool if you gave me 30 seconds, give me 30 seconds to take a photograph. The caveat here is I'm going to film it and I'm also going to shoot it on an iPhone. And they were like, no, we're not really that interested. And I'm like, I promise it's going to be a good shot. And they go, okay, fine. <laughs> And then I had them for, I kid you not, 30 seconds. And then I took this image and then I showed them and they freaked out. And they were like, how is this even possible? Uh, but these are, yeah, these are all just iPhone shots kind of knowing how to use the camera. And so this is what it would look like straight from the camera. And then you throw it into Lightroom and you put a preset on it and then you can bring all the detail out. But the, the images are incredible straight up. So this is again, straight up iPhone shots. Yeah. So wow. anyway, the, this is where I see the world of photography kind of going is towards this direction of like, if, if the phones can do this now, then you only imagine where it's going to be in five years. And at right. that point, the need for a camera that's not your phone is going to essentially only be when you need raw files produced at a rate of 10, 20 frames a second and very specific demands, like absolute control over image quality. That's going to be the need for it. And that's okay. going to be the 1% of the market. Wow. So. Eric in, in the YouTube actually brings up a really good point from that educational standpoint. Um, what are some of the biggest headaches or hurdles you're seeing in your community right now? Uh, and what advice are you giving them? So some of the biggest hurdles, like from the, tell me which side, like the tech side or the, from the creative standpoint, it's more so education. Um, okay. Most everybody is locked into the mindset that they can't, they can't, I can't do something unless I can't do this unless I have this. So the reason why my images don't look like this is because I don't have this. Um, huh. And in reality, the reason that their images don't come out a certain way is because they lack the education, they lack the knowledge, and it has nothing to do with okay. gear. So on sure. that side, the biggest headache, the biggest hurdle is overcoming the marketing message that has been drilled in that you need, you know, more. Um, sure. From the tech standpoint, I would say the biggest issue creatives have is data management. It's workflow. Okay. Um, there's 
there's so many needs right now to be able to output and to be able to have different resolutions, different sizes, different files available for mm. every device and sure. maintaining color consistency across them Ooh. and making sure there's data safety from the camera to the computer. These are these are the main headaches that I, I, I find photographers running the most. Data safety being a big, big one of them. And when you say that, is it is it as far as losing the memory card or somebody stealing the camera, it's like data safety? Both. It's bad. Oh. It's bad data practices. So, like, mm. for example, if you're shooting something that is important, number one, starting with a camera body that has um, in-camera double backups. So, but oh. then you need dual card slots for that, and then you also need to set it in the menu settings. And a lot of people don't ever learn how to set it in the menu settings. So. Yeah turning on that side. Then we have, so say for example, this is a another workflow solution. This is called a Narbox. This is the 2.0 okay. version. And it has data ports right in it where you can shoot and go straight from camera to this and have a, a third on-site backup available to you. Wow. And then you take this and rather than have to plug in one card at a time. So this thing is gonna be a, this is show and tell, Houston. Show and tell. I love it. This is great. So this wow. is a, okay. a Lexar media reader. Okay. So it, uh -huh. it can input up to four cards at once. But the downside is it's one port on the backside. So there's only one oh, USB 3 no. port on the backside. So if you've got four cards into this and you're inputting, you know, uh, 200 gigs of data, you're going to just go and have lunch because it's going to take a yeah, while for this thing to, to finish. I was going to say, you go take a nap. That's, that's, yeah. that's not fast. That's not fast so enough. This guy just came out and now our workflow has shifted to accommodate it. So now we can back up on location, go straight okay. to this with all cards. So every single card goes into this and backs up here. Then wow. we get a high speed USB-C directly to the computer. We can offload mm. everything at once. So we're constantly looking for these ways of, of just speeding up the workflow while keeping the data safe in the process. So if a camera gets stolen, I still have this. If right. I lose one of my cards, I still have have a second card. Once it's on the computer, if one goes down, I still have a on-server backup that has redundancy. So that's probably the biggest issue that as a photographer steps from the, I mean, I would say that's the biggest issue most photographers face because you'll constantly hear about people losing their own images as well. Um, oh, yeah. But on the professional side, it's probably the, the first thing that has to be addressed is just data safety. Um, okay. If you're being paid, you can't lose stuff. Right, right. Oh man, I would actually. I, I hadn't realized it, but I've lost a few cards myself. Um, <laughs> and I'm not. I'm not even. Uh, or or have have backed them up onto a, a USB like a flash drive or something. And I'm like, okay, this is my video thumb drive. Keep it with yeah. the laptop. You know. Um, wow. You know yeah, when that's, it's that's when funny. it's for yourself, you kind of like you're kind of like, oh, that sucks. Um, you know, better do a good job next time. When it's for a client that happens, oh man, that is the cool. worst thing in the world. You're like sick to yeah. your stomach, can't get over, you can't sleep, and yeah, oh, it's major liability. Dang. Yeah, that's and and I can imagine just one one screw up and could ruin you, really. Yes. Because reputation yes. and everything. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, I have 
for 10 years uh, or for the entire time I'm running my studio, I've never lost. Uh, personally, I've never lost a photograph. Now, our, our, you, you do enough of these and you're eventually going to have one instance of something. But we've been uh-huh. very fortunate to not have to, I, I think, other than one camera being stolen and we've never had to deal with this. That's good. But the one time that it happened, I only lost five photographs. This is this is out of 2,500 images. I lost five photographs. Okay, so it's not like it was a significant amount. I lost five photographs. It cost me five thousand dollars. Whoa, whoa! And so, wait, how do you how do you only lose five though? That's instead of like all of them at once. Was it? Because there was one instance where I was working in a in a situation and environment where I deviated from my typical workflow practice. There was it was a high stress situation, and I was going back and forth shooting different things, and the client was pulling back and forth doing different things and i said you know what i'm gonna deviate and i'm gonna shoot instead of using my main camera i'm gonna use my second camera for this just for these five images and then i'll grab it off my second camera so that way i don't have to keep switching cameras well that second camera never hit the workflow so those files never got backed up because that wasn't a typical workflow that we had so those five images cost 25 percent of the job so wow. we we ninety nine percent of everything was fine. To make it right, we had to refund twenty five percent of that job. Wow! So that's the significance of like a single mistake, and that wasn't even a mistake. Where if it was a critical failure, we would have ended up refunding everything. That was just a tiny right. mistake where one small piece was missing, and everything else like was perfect. And a wow. tiny mistake like that, it ends up being a significant, you know, amount of. So when you're working at that professional level, um, each one of these mistakes, if it's a critical failure, you're right. One single critical failure can end a business. Um, if it's a minor one, like the one that I made, then you're talking. It doesn't feel like a slap on the wrist. It feels like Whoa. you're you're getting you know the broad end of the stick and it's gonna hurt that hurts yeah Yeah. i mean five grand or or 500 even like that's that's a hefty that's a slap in the face like yeah it's it's brutal it's it's, it's brutal period wow wow um dang that's yeah so i suppose that that kind of drills home the the idea of of kind of almost i suppose because it sounds it sounds like part of it not not to blame the customer but in part it was it was some of that distraction and so i think part of the the takeaway there is being strict in your process and 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 pressing on on the customer in a way to like no hang on this is how we do things and we have to stick to that yeah and unfortunately like on the there was plenty of of room on that particular shoot to say this was not our responsibility unfortunately if you're be if you're the professional that's being hired to do the job the buck ends with you like it, it right. really ends with you and and saying like you said you either control the process and say i'm not willing to do that i'm not going to do this we need to slow down we need to focus on each different piece or if you make that decision you own it so right. i made the decision and i was like ultimately this ends with me like i i shouldn't have made that decision and and that was a five thousand dollar mistake that I will never do again, and I, yeah. I thank my, you know, I, I, I thank my lucky stars that it was just five images. It was right. It was such a small error. 
but it was an, such an important lesson that such a minor error that has literally no impact over the entire deliverable. I mean, you think about it, 2,500 images, this isn't even 1% of those. This is right. This is 0.2% of that entire deliverable, yet it costs 25% of the contract. So, so when you think about the level of significance, it was a, a very important lesson that we all needed. Yeah. So to kind of, let's go back a little bit. Um, you were stressing the point that it isn't, and, and this is a, this is uh, something that comes up a lot in, in content creation. It isn't so much the the camera it isn't the the two the the actual hardware in a in that sense that really makes something amazing um oh i kind of lost where i was going with that but uh, so like you say you know pictures can be done well enough well incredibly well with a cell phone mm -hmm. um what other piece of that there uh, there's like the education and so like where do you where do you suggest people start or look first um slrlounge.com yeah no, that's shameless <laughs> plug time no, uh, uh, so i mean slrlounge.workshops.com has workshops ground up i'd say if people are just starting with their phone come follow me on uh tiktok at born and creative that's completely free they can kind of get an idea of just how far you can go and then when they go all right i'm ready to take this a step further that's when i'd say jump onto slrloungeworkshops.com that's where you can go a to z you can i mean just just blow it up um, okay. and there's it's fun photography is this rabbit hole that you dive down and you you <laughs> you start with your phone and then you end up ten thousand dollars later having an incredible hobby that you're like i can't imagine my life without this so it's a it's a really fun area to get into yeah i'm curious too about the 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 differences in um in the this i guess the kinds of photography um and and is there a difference in the workflow um from like weddings to product to those guys on the on the street um Absolutely. is there a different is it just a mindset difference like you have to you know frame things or is it is it from start to finish everything is different it's almost start to finish everything is different i mean when you look at the commercial so i'll give you an example and i've shot kind of a little bit of everything i liked wedding and portraiture the most and so that's where we focused but let's talk about some of my shoots with um i did some shoots for nissan some shoots for toyota where it was completely commercial Typically on shoots like that, you're going to have a creative director on your set. Um, okay. The creative director is going to be usually one from the agency, usually one from the actual company. So Toyota will hire an agency. They'll send out one of their own creative directors. And then also you get a creative director from the, the, the agency itself. Sometimes it can be up to six or seven creative directors on your set. And it gets <laughs> obnoxious because it's essentially, it's essentially art by committee. So sure. everything that you're doing, you have a, a mood board and a storyboard that you're you're basically going through and creating with. Um, and it's very similar on the cinema versus the still side. You're essentially trying okay. to create these images that have been predefined. And along the way, 
these creative directors are going to say, oh, you know what? I really don't like that sofa cushion where it's placed right there. I feel like that pillow needs to go on the other side. And okay. there's a distraction in the background. You're like, that distraction's a painting. It should go there. And they're like, no, I don't like the painting. Is there another painting that we can get to put on that wall? And they will creatively deconstruct and reconstruct your image. So it removes the process from it. And you're shooting directly to the video village. So you have a video village set up where the creative director can basically watch and give input on what's going on. Okay. So that process is dramatically different. And at the end of the day, usually when it comes to a, a still shoot for a commercial client, you're delivering 10 to 15 images. So sure. a hyper fast, you know, Lightroom based workflow is not even necessary. What you need is more so Photoshop and every one of those 15 images are gonna go through detailed retouching and editing in Photoshop. And very little is gonna be done with those images inside of say Lightroom. So a lot okay. of times they bypass the Lightroom workflow entirely and they just go straight to Photoshop with the 15 images they need. They'll use software like Photo Mechanic to actually house the images and to actually navigate and pick their images. Hmm. So every one of these from sports to commercial to portrait to, to product has a completely different workflow. And it starts from the planning phase all the way through to okay. post-production. Wow. Huh. That's, I, 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 got, I got hung up on something and then I'm, I'm curious, um, from a workflow standpoint, what, what's the difference, or I suppose just in general, what's the difference between Lightroom and Photoshop? So Lightroom is, <laughs> if you think about, um, the best way to describe it is Lightroom is designed to catalog. So it's number one, it's a, it's a method of organization. So it'll actually store oh, okay. your photos. Um, your, your photos are on your hard drive, but you have a mm -hmm. catalog that indexes each of those photos. And what's happening inside of Lightroom is you can make adjustments uh, that are for the most part, kind of global editing adjustments. You have some control over local editing. And, and the difference between those is a global adjustment would be saying, I'm gonna adjust the exposure and I'm gonna take the entire image and make it brighter or darker. Um, oh. You also have the ability to adjust contrast and color and all these different things inside of Lightroom. But when you start trying to say, I wanna do those on a local basis, I wanna do it to select areas of the image, mm -hmm. then Lightroom's tools get a little more limited and it does give you some control, but it's more rough. Okay. But you can edit large amounts of images using this method of batch editing. Okay. Um, so you can basically apply settings to one image and synchronize it across multiple images and export them all simultaneously. But if you have to go into nuances, like if you want to do detailed skin retouching, if you have to, you know, fix reflections and, and do layering and, and all the things that are beyond those basic adjustments, right. you have to go to Photoshop. Okay. And even though Photoshop can do the same things as Lightroom, it can't do batch editing. So it has all the same kind of functionality, but then the it has additional layering and everything else that it can do. Right. So what they have in common is called Adobe Camera Raw. So okay. Adobe Camera Raw is the raw processing that's built into both Photoshop and into Lightroom. Okay. Lightroom uses Adobe Camera Raw on a catalog basis. So you can apply it to hundreds of images at the same time. Photoshop uses Adobe Camera Raw on an individual basis. So it can only be applied to one image at a time. 
And then okay. Photoshop adds on to that by saying, we're going to allow you to do layers, composite, all the effects, all the crazy stuff that you would do. Mm. Okay, thank you for that, because I've uh, I've fiddled with both, and I, n I never really understood what, like, I guess how to use them. And so now I have, and I think I at least now have a much better understanding of that. Um, that's cool. The vast majority of people should stick to Lightroom. For, okay. for most people, just stick to Lightroom. Okay. Yeah, that's that sounds, yeah, that sounds like the way to go. Because, uh, yeah, you can, you, and I like the, I like, I, I suppose maybe I just got hung up on it, but that, the concept of like, you can do, you can do the same thing to all of the pictures you've taken all at once. Yeah. Essentially, you know. Okay. Huh. That's really neat. Um, so, let me see here. So, what has been your personal biggest hurdle and struggle in your time as a as a photographer? Hmm. That's an interesting one. Is there a is there a, a particular maybe job or or um, project that was that introduced in a, 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 a trouble that you had to overcome? I mean, I would say probably figuring out which genre of photography best fits your personality and what you enjoy. Um, namely because, like I said, wedding and, and portrait was kind of the area that best fit me. And I, there's a lot of money and it's very lucrative to be in the space of commercial photography and, and product photography and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And I'm, I'm, I'm good at it. I can do it. And I kind of got roped into doing quite a bit of it because you would do it for one client. The agency would be happy. They'd want to book you on more jobs. And it's a really, it's a very fortunate problem to have, but at the same time, it's almost, if you're doing something that you very much don't like, it's soul crushing. Um, so yeah. it was, it was going into each of these shoots uh, and I was getting like stomach ulcers, like going into each of these shoots going, I have four creative directors on set today. What are they going to make me do? And you're, you're more a technician at that point than you are a, yeah. a, a creative professional. Um, you're simply there to kind of operate the camera. You're simply there to kind of direct and make sure everything happens. But so I, I would say the hardest, the, the biggest hurdle for me has always been leaving opportunities on the table, knowing that like it, it's not a good fit or that there is something better, but like, when you first get into this, you always have that starving artist kind of mentality at the beginning. And so sure, sure, it's hard when someone says, here's a $30,000 contract and all you have to do is this. And it's hard to say, I'm going to pass on that because it's not a good fit for where I want to go. Because you sit there thinking like, what if I don't get another job in this amount of time? And what if I don't get this? And what if, but taking on those jobs makes it so you can't get more of what you want to be shooting. It makes it so you sure. can't focus on what you want to be doing. And people hire you based on what you're shooting. So if I just finish a big job and I start posting all these images of cars, which is one, one of the things that happened, I started getting more clients that want to do cars. And I was like, <laughs> I don't, know that I want to be photographing cars all day long. Like that's not my, right. what I enjoy. So you can very easily get stuck and kind of pigeonholed into something that you don't appreciate simply because you were kind of looking at the short-sighted nature of it, of, of looking at yeah. just what's on the table. So that was probably the big thing is like 
understanding that you have to specialize and you're going to have to give up things in order to specialize on that one thing and picking the the, the area that best fits with you long term because that's the only thing that's sustainable you have to pick something that fits into your personality if you if, if it grinds you to deal with brides and mother of brides and all that kind of stuff and it's and it's annoying <laughs> to you then i would say don't do this like don't do wedding photography right. because that's the nature of the job yeah. So it's understanding that and picking the right area. Mm. It's going to be hard to uh, like, okay, so I want to, I want to get into photography, but I don't know what kind I want to do yet. And so there it's, it's gotta be a struggle too, to balance, like trying to taste as much as possible. Like, Oh, well maybe, maybe, maybe this is cool or that without getting sucked down into, into that. Cause like, um, yeah, that's got to be really hard to. And how do you? How would you recommend somebody navigate that kind of thing? Um, you know, how do you find what you like to do the best without getting caught doing something you don't like doing? So I, I think the key in that is personal work. Um, on a weekly basis, I'm doing two to three shoots that are just for me. They're just oh. it's just personal work. I use it for education. I use it for you know uh, TikTok. I use it for social media. I use it for all the other channels that we do but it's not work that I'm seeking clients for. So okay. if I end up not liking it, I just don't post it. If I say I love this and I want to do more of it, then I'm going to post more of it. Um, okay. If I find that, hey, this is what I want to focus on, then I'm going to create a business built around that one particular thing. So the key is in personal work, not necessarily in taking on tons of different clients that hire you to do something or, or trying different types of client jobs. I think you'll drive yourself nuts if you... Okay. Because when it's personal work, you can literally take one shot and be like, I hate this. I'm not going to do anymore. But <laughs> if a client has hired you to get, you know, landscape shots of Yosemite because they want to use it for their travel, you know, at, I'm not saying they would. It would make no sense to do that, given all the stock photos out there. <laughs> but let's say that they did that. And then you were, you know, you realize that, hey, I love hiking and I love being outdoors, but I really hate hiking for six hours to spend two hours in one location just waiting for the perfect light, which that's mm -hmm. me. Like, I love hiking, I love being outdoors, I love taking pictures on the go. But the best landscape photographers, the best people that do that, they will go to this same location 20 times through the year just so that that one time had the perfect light. And the best of the best, the top, you know, 0.001%, they have spotters who say, hey, you need to come out to Switzerland right now because there's a special storm over the next three days that's gonna yield this type of stuff here. Wow. And then they'll fly directly out there, then they'll wait in one spot to get that perfect image. So, wow. Again, it goes back to like, you know, you got to pick that thing that you actually enjoy doing. And if you take a client like this and you hate the work, well, number one, don't post it because yeah. you're just going to get more of those clients that want that. Um, right. But I wouldn't take it on in the first place. Huh, that's cool. Uh, are there are there avenues or are communities? Um, that you recommend like I know I know Instagram is big right Instagram is the spot for pictures uh, and, uh, and video a little bit but are there other places that you that you recommend for getting communities like that that um, to post like say I really like doing car photos um, and, and to get feedback and, and assistance in that way 
Yes, I'm going to actually link up several. Um, okay. So if you just type these in to Facebook search, um, then they'll pull up each of these areas. Because I'm so, in particular, I'm very interested in, in product photography. I like taking pictures of like computers and things. And, and so I'm, I'm personally curious, but I think it'll help everybody else too. <laughs> yeah, no, so each of these, I linked up four different groups. Um, Master Lighting, you'll find them, so they're, they're, they're groups by SR Lounge and they're on Facebook. So Master okay. Lighting, if you see SR Lounge and Master Lighting in there, if you just search that, you'll find it. That's mainly for just learning how to light and create, you know, just, just lighting, like natural light all the way to flash, everything like that. Then there's Wedding and Portrait, then there's Lightroom, so it's editing and Photoshop, and then there's okay. Business. So those are four different groups that are completely free. You guys can join up. Um, and it'll guide in each of those areas. Those are some of the best places to get to know peers, to try out different things. Um, the other place I would say is, is um, as far as a community goes, mm, actually that's probably my favorite, those are my favorite communities. Um, okay. And they're also the ones that that we're in, so we can help, yeah. you know, guide the conversation of what's going on. Awesome! Oh, that's great. Um, oh, Gray Tower great says, time. "Just thought of Lego hiking. You get a custom Lego guy of yourself and take pics all over the place. There you go. Yeah. Make that your personal yeah. work, and who knows? Maybe you'll be hired for it one day." All right. Um, uh, a buddy of mine had used to have like a little, uh, I think like a little plushie, some little thing. It was like a turtle, and yeah. it his his. He goes to a lot of conventions and does like booth activations and stuff. But his his like personal fun side was taking a picture of this little stuffed turtle at all the different places he goes. And That's I don't think it it wasn't anything like money making or anything, but it was fun and, and cute to, to do yeah. little things like that. It's fun. That's really neat. Um, that's it. Oh, and thank you for for sharing those. I'm I know I'm gonna be poking around in that myself. Of course. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it's the middle of the road. Um, do you have any other personal projects that you that you um, want to talk about or, or share with us? I'm 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 really curious. Oh man, at the moment, I I mean, I'm shooting them constantly, so I would say the best place to follow them would be at, at Born and Creative. But um, okay, okay, there's not one specific one that I'm like. I, I'm excited about all of them right now because it's kind of me shooting for myself. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. What's been your and so it's, we only just we have just a few minutes left, but um, I'm curious what was what's been your in in your whole span what's been your most favorite um, shoot I suppose. Um, most favorite shoot? Oh, that's a tough one. Putting me on the spot there. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I would probably say some of the stuff that's been the most fun it's hard to identify one specific shoot um, okay. our wedding and portrait clients are all amazing and those are we, we've gotten a lot of really great shoots but i feel like some of the stuff some of the things that i've had the most fun with have honestly been so we have a new course that's coming called creative photography 101 and the whole okay. premise of that was let's teach an entire course let's let's show people how to create images ground up from that that look professional but with the phone and so okay. the camera for the entire course is just a phone, like the, the one that everybody already has. And the fun part about it has been eliminating all the other stuff, like all the other gear, all the other everything, and just going down to a place where you're just thinking creatively and just thinking, 
how can I use the limitations of this tool and still arrive at this place? And from a creative standpoint, it's been really fun. Like you don't think about anything other than just what's in front of you and the story you want to tell. And I've, I've really enjoyed that process. Oh, that sounds so cool. I, I like that. Um, well, yeah, that, that makes me very, I don't know. It just, it, that, I, it makes me really happy to hear that. It seems really like a, a really cool way of doing things. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's really neat. And is that that's a uh, that's on your site then, or or soon to be? Yeah, I believe. Let me see if I can find a link to it. Um, it should be out sometime soon. It might not be up and live quite yet. Okay. Yeah, it's not. Oh no, there's a. So here it is. Oh. There, there is a link to. I just popped it onto YouTube so they can see the the latest uh, the little course trailer for it. All right. Um, this might be a, a well again as we're coming up to it. I'm curious how how did it get, how did you get into the educational side of it rather than just doubling down on what was clearly a successful business with the portraiture and, and wedding photography? What 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 made you want to get into the education side of it too? Because that seems very very different. Yeah. So we wanted to um, the whole premise of it was I was already creating the education for our team members. So I was creating our own manuals for photographers who were just coming in based on their different levels, the experience, what they had to learn. And then I thought, well, let's put this stuff out there and see if people like it. And so we started this free website, srlounge.com, and we started putting out education. And within a few months, we had 50,000 people a month on the site. And within a couple wow. of years, we had, I think it was like quarter million people on the site. And within, you know, five years, it was a million people a month are on this site. So it kind of naturally evolved from us creating our own educational resources and then making it available to photographers around the world. Neat. Okay, that's that's well, that's really cool. Cause yeah, I guess if you're if you're already doing it, might as well put it out there for other people. That's exactly. really nice. Yeah, that's really cool. Cause in some, I mean, in some in some areas, they would keep a lot of that secret. You know, like cause it's your special sauce. So you know, you might want to keep that to yourself. But that's really neat to to get that stuff out there. Yeah, no, I'm my belief about that is that I feel like all the information is out there and you're going to learn it one way or another. And the things that I've learned have been inspired by other people, whether it's watching them or learning from their books or their education. And it's more so a choice of do you want to be a part of someone else's journey or do you not want to be a part of it? Because if they're serious about it, they're going to do it anyway. Um, sure. And it matters not like what you do. So yeah. I, I never kind of understood that that competitive drive of keeping secrets, namely because it's it's benefited us a lot just to share, like to be helpful. Yeah. So kind of like you guys put out a lot of resources on how to build your own machines. Oh, but sure. There's and I saw I've seen tons of creative, like amazing guides on there. And it's like. I love those guides, but in the end, I want to buy my machine. Like I don't want to spend my time in that area. So like it doesn't change, like the people that are going to be your customers, they're going to be your customers anyway. And the people that are 
not necessarily your customers for your computers are going to learn from you and realize that you guys are the thought leaders and moving, you know, this stuff forward. Um, and maybe they will one day become your customers. So it's that same kind of blend between the two, you know, where you can kind of have the best of both worlds. Yeah. I often, I often come back around to the concept of, of time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, like you said, somebody who, who really wants to, is going to find a lot of this information anyway, but yeah. it's going to take a lot of time and, and iteration and trying and, and learn and reading and, or videos. And you save a lot of time by just watch, you know, going through this workshop. And it's, it's very similar for us too, is we, everything, everything is out there. You could look at all the articles we do and build the exact same machine that we would, but it's going to take you a lot of time and sure. effort, you know, and, especially if something goes wrong for sure <laughs> you know <laughs> so that's yeah i feel like that's a that's good um people i feel like a lot of times people miss that that part yeah. of it um yeah they they begin to learn it when their time becomes more limited when you're young and you're very liberal with where you spend your time. You're like, yeah, I don't mind yeah. spending four hours building a computer and then, you know, two hours a week maintaining it. And right. when you're older and you're like, I can't possibly fathom spending that time on that. I would much rather purchase it and focus on other things. Yeah. Or just, or, or when you grow, like you were saying 30 machines, that's, mm -hmm. that's a lot. Yeah. And, there's no and way to, 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 to build or upgrade or, or if something goes wrong, forget about it. That's, that's why you pay somebody else to do it. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Yeah. Right on. Um, here in Brazil, we have a nice training ecosystem with professionals from many areas, sharing lots of knowledge and freedom. Oh yeah, that's cool. Um, well, um, I guess we're, we're right at our hour here. Um, is there anything else you'd like to, to mention or, or shout out or point people to? I'm good at the moment, brother. So the only link that okay. I had was just srloungeworkshops.com. Sure, sure. And uh, and your TikTok, right? And TikTok. Follow me at yeah. Born Uncreative. All right. Born Uncreative? Born Uncreative. Okay, cool. Well, all right on. Okay. Well, then um, we will we will say goodbye. And um, thank you, Pi, for joining me today. This was this was a lot of fun. I personally have learned quite a bit. And I hope our audience has as well. Um, and and so thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking the time out of your day again. Um, and yeah, this has been really fun. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I want to say thanks to the audience as well for joining us. I hope you guys got a little bit of something out of it. Um, my normal outro, uh, we do this every Wednesday and Friday uh, at 1 p.m. Pacific. Uh, on Wednesdays, we bring in industry experts uh, to talk about their workflow and the process and a little bit about um, what they do and how they do it. And on Fridays, we have a member of our labs team come on to kind of get a little more insight into the crossover between the hardware and the software and how we help uh, kind of navigate that space. So um, yeah, mark your calendars, Wednesdays, Fridays, 1 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll see you guys there. Thank you very much. Bye. See ya.